All right. Well, if you want to open up your Bibles to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. Again, this is going to be kind of topical here, and so this is just going to be the jumping off point. And before we read this, uh, I'm going to do a review here. we taking a break from Revelation, although we're going to jump back into it, and just doing a short series on prayer. And the summary, the overview of the whole series is motives to prayer. Um, and the three motives that we said motivate us to prayer uh, is not, first off, uh, guilt. <laughs> it's not, uh, I want to feel really guilty so I can pray more. And that's definitely not um, what the Bible's wanting us to feel. Um, in fact, we looked at this chart, just this is a survey uh, that they gave to evangelical Christians and how they feel about their prayer life and just that most people, the vast majority, just don't feel good about their prayer life. And they also asked them as a follow-up question, you know, why? What What's the biggest hindrance to your prayer life? Uh, the biggest was distraction and indifference uh, and busyness were tied. And then uh, a significant portion said loss for words. Uh, and so I'm going to go back to the first slide, prayer. And... We just talked about how really we could say it this way. The world, the flesh, and the devil all don't want us to pray, right? Prayer is very unnatural uh, in terms of the world. It's strange to kneel down. There's silence. You're, there's quietness. And we're so busy and we're so uh, input all the time. To kneel down before God is, is not uh, normal. In, in American culture. Not only that, uh, the world would ask you, you know, does it, does this really do anything? What's this really accomplishing? You know, we're so task oriented and there's a false idea of you don't really need to pray or what is this really accomplishing? The flesh, you know, it, it takes discipline and it also, um, it's not easy. It's not easy to sit down and, and spend some time in prayer. And of course we know the devil doesn't want us to pray. Um, it's one of the big things we can do for the kingdom here is just to pray. And so we talked about the motives, not guilt, but humility. It was the first one we talked about, humility. Just the fact that we need God. That this will pull us into prayer. And just to say, God, I need you today. I need your help today. And we look through the Lord's Prayer. We need help physically. We need our bread today. We need help emotionally. We need help spiritually. We need forgiveness. We need God's guidance. Um, God knows. Your will be done. Uh, not God do exactly what I want to do. God knows what's best. And so we come to Him in prayer because we need Him every single day. And so we talked about that, humility. We talked about we're actually splitting up the next motive to prayer, love, into two different sermons one on loving others. Love for others pulls us into prayer. We see people in need, or we don't even we don't even see them. But maybe uh, it's people across the world. And last week we looked at um, some motives to prayer. Just there's there's persecution all over the world, and we can pray. Uh, we've got prayer lists. We can pray for the people in our family. We can pray for the people in our church. 
And we talked about how we want to not only pray for people, what's going on in their life, but we want to thank God for people. And we can say, thank you for so many people in our life. And even we, we can say thank you for not just uh, our close family and, and not just the church, but we can thank God for uh, people, Christians all over the world, even if we don't know them. The Christians pressing on in some of these persecuted countries, we can say, God, thank you that they're there, and then move in to help God help them press on. And so there's motives to prayer, humility, love, to people, but also love to God. We haven't talked about that yet, but eventually we're going to jump back into Revelation and talk about worship, just thankfulness to God and worship for who he is. And then the final motivation is faith. Uh, faith. Because we're trusting God, we come to him in prayer. And we're going to talk about that for actually two different... I'm going to split it up into two weeks. So today we're going to talk about faith as a motive to prayer, and then next week the same thing, but uh, from a little different angle. Okay, that's all review. Jumping in here. Today, we're going to talk about faith. Faith that is a motive to prayer. And specifically today, we're going to be talking about faith in a person. Well, I'm going to just make this, I'm going to say this wrong several times. God is Trinity, right? So God is one being and three persons. So when I say a person, I'm sure I'm going to say a person. God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. (laughs) God is one being. So I'm sure I'm going to mix up being in person today. And just getting that out there because I don't want you to think I'm a heretic. <laughs> um, so anyways, all that is to say, we're trusting God. <laughs> we're trusting God. And God is personal. Okay? And that's just what I want to talk about today. And I hope this is an encouragement to you. And we're going to be kind of jumping around. But we're going to start in Psalm 22. And I'm going to try this a little different because uh, my wife is... Um, well, lots of people can try to help me with my sermons, but my wife says, okay, when you read through a longer passage, sometimes you mumble or you rush or whatever, and and I'm not very good at reading word for word. I don't know, you probably noticed that. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to try something different. I'm going to try and slowly read through this, and I'm just going to give you kind of my points as I go. So I'm going to read some verses, stop and say something, and it shouldn't take too long, but uh, at least we'll kind of be working there together. But just notice that we're trusting a person. That in prayer, we're coming to Christ. We're coming to the Father. And we're trusting them because we know them. And coming back to a person that we trust. Uh, If we don't have that, uh, we've lost something vital. And so, I want you to notice this psalm here. And of course, this is a prophecy about Jesus. But just like the rest of the Bible, it's also a real prayer of David's. Okay? And so... Although this is a prophecy about Jesus, we're really going to be looking at it from the perspective of, you know, the original, uh, the first time I was written, David's perspective here. Although you'll see that this is obviously a prophecy about Jesus. But I want you to notice this, how he comes back to faith in God as a person. Over and over and over, this psalm is over and over saying, here's my situation, here's what's going on in my life, and then I'm back to, yeah, but God and remembering who God is, okay? So that's where we'll jump in and just read through this, okay? Psalm 22, starting in verse 1. He starts with his present situation. My God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry to you, but you do not answer. And by night I find no rest. 
So he starts out, I'm, this is where I'm at, and I'm struggling. And he's honest with God, which we need to be. We need to be honest with God. But then he moves into who God is and what he does. And you'll see how he's going to jump back and forth between these two. Now verse 3. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted you and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Now back to his present situation. Verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me, saying, They make mouths at me, and they wag their heads, saying, He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. That's his present situation. He's really struggling. He's in this really hard situation. How does this fit with who you are, God? But back, he's now, verse 9, back to who God is and what he does. Yet, you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. And I, on you I was cast from birth. And from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. He's remembering who God is. The same God who has taken care of him from birth to now. He's reflecting on that, on the God that he's trusting. Back to his present situation, verse 12. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You... Lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evil doers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Now he's going to ask for help in this present situation. Verse 19, But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life. From the power of the dog, save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. And then he's going to move into a, back to who God is, and this time praise God for who he is and what he does. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him but as heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows are per- will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live, for- live forever. And all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him, and it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation, and they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. So as we went through it, I hope you kind of see this movement from, here's where I'm at, God. There's this sense of humility that we've talked about, his need for God. He senses that. But then he moves in from there to faith in the God he knows and is trusting. And he goes over what God has done in the past. He goes over what God has done before he was born. He goes over how God cared for him from birth. 
And then he moves into, and that's, you will. You'll continue to take care of me, and you're going to deliver me, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to praise you when you do that. And so today, in talking about our motives to prayer, we're talking about faith. Faith in the God, the person that we're trusting. The Father, the persons of the Trinity. We're trusting. We're trusting God. It's really important. Um, It's vital to know the God we're praying to because that's one of the reasons we can have confidence. One of the reasons we come to him as prayer is because we know him. We know who he is and we know what he is like. Okay. Now, this is one example, and I hope this is a good example for us, of just how to pour our hearts out to God. That we, one of the reasons I wonder if some of the reasons people feel, you know, dissatisfied like we talked about is because we have kind of a false idea of prayer. I wonder how people would feel, how David felt after praying this prayer. <laughs> how do you feel about your prayer life? <laughs> you know? Um, it just depends on what you've been taught. But the reality is, is that when you come to God and you're honest, even if you're just saying, God, I'm really struggling. God, I don't see how this fits. God, I'm, I'm in a bad situation right now and I don't know if I'm going to make it. That that's actually a good thing. And that if you have a false idea that, you know, being up here is like, you're just praying like, I'm just happy all the time or something like that. There may be maybe a false sense of guilt here, but we want to be honest with God. We want our prayer life to look like what God wants it to look like. And look look at these verses here. We want to be honest with where we're at. So that's just a side note here. Okay. Now, I want to, in thinking about who God is, I want you to notice a pattern that occurs often in the Bible. When we come to God, we need help. And we've seen that. But a lot of the times, the questions we ask, we get a different answer back from God. Not always, but a lot of times, we ask a question and God answers the way Jesus answers You know, in the, in the Gospels, where... They ask him a question, and he answers with something different. <laughs> he kind of changes it. And God answers us like that often in prayer. And I want you to see how this is connected to what we're talking about. Often we're asking questions like, why, when, what, how? And God is coming back to us and answering with a who, remembering it's God that we're trusting. Does that make sense? I want you to see this pattern here in, in the scripture that comes up over and over. And then we'll look at a time when it doesn't happen, and I think that proves the rule. There are exceptions to this, but I think the exceptions prove the rule. Often we have these questions for God. God, when are you going to do this? God, how are you going to do this? God, what are you going to do next? Why, are you, why is this happening to me? And often, the vast majority of the time, there are exceptions. God comes back with the answer, remember who I am. Remember that you can trust me. Remember that I'm in control. And so let's look at some of those here. Well, we just saw one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? And really, the, this is you know David praying back to God, but really he, he comes back with remembering who God is. 
He starts with this, why? Why have you forsaken me? But he kind of ends with comfort in who God is. Over and over and over. His why question really isn't answered here. His why question, he comes to the place of trusting in who God is. Yet you are holy, enthroned in Israel. In you our fathers trusted. To you they cried and were delivered. You know, he starts with the why and he moves to the who. And we just looked at that. He actually does that over and over and over. But let's look at some other examples. Here's Moses. Moses said to God, this is after God is you know, calling Moses to go and deliver, uh, ask Pharaoh to deliver the people, uh, to, that God is calling him to do this. This is what Moses says. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he's asking kind of, well, why me, God? What about, well, why do you want me to go? <laughs> and what's God? answer what's God's comfort back to him and the Lord said but I will be with you Moses and he actually goes through this several different times where Moses asks different questions uh, and God always comes back with but I'm God well I don't speak well God what about what if I say something what if I mumble or, or my mouth you know doesn't come out right remember he asked that next and then what's God's answer back who made your mouth He's always, God's always pointing back to who he is. And that's the comfort. And often, I think for myself, I can say, I'm like Moses, where I'm asking these questions, and God's giving me what I really need to focus on. Where I'm asking, when is this going to happen? How is this going to happen? And God's saying, remember, I'm with you. Remember who I am. Remember who's really in control. Look at a couple more examples. This is Job. Again, this is a good example of honesty before God. Job, Job prays some honest prayers. But let's look at the question, what he starts with, and the answer that God gives. How long will you not look away from me, nor leave me alone till I swallow my spit? If I sin, what do I do to you, watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? And actually, there's several chapters of these kind of questions where Job is asking how long is this going to happen? What, what did I do that would cause this? Why is it me? Uh, why is this relationship between us strained? And God is, Job asks over and over and over many, many chapters, many variations of these questions. But then God's answer, for, and this again goes over many chapters, so we're kind of summarizing it and shortening it. But basically, God's answer is reminding him who God is. Who is this that darkens counsel without words, without knowledge? So he's kind of reminding him, actually, who are you? <laughs> Don't, you know, you're just a man all in response, all to get him to think about who God is. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who has determined its measurements? Surely you know, or who stretched a line upon it? And that actually goes on for several chapters. Who knows, you know, when the deer gives birth in the forest? Who uh, can, who hung the world in, with, no, with no foundation on it, just hung it in the sky? Um, it's kind of amazing that he says that, but that's basically what he says, and over and over he's pointing him back to God. Who, who is God? God's the one in control. God's the one that knows what's going on. And so Job is asking these questions, why, how long, when is this going to end, what's the purpose of this? And God comes back to him with the answer over and over and over, reminding him of who he is, that God is in control. And actually, this comes, it comes pretty clear when Job gives his summary after 
God asks him all these questions, you know, reminding him that God's the one that's in control. This is what Job says at the very end of the whirlwind when, when Job prays back to God. This is what he learned from all this. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job comes to the place of faith in the person of God. He doesn't get his how questions answered. He doesn't get his why questions answered. He doesn't get his when questions answered. But he comes to realize who God is. And that's where he can place his trust. So we often ask these questions, what, when, why, how. And those are fine questions to ask. Ask them in prayer. That's a great place to start. Start with these questions. But move to the place of faith in a person. That we may not get these questions answered for a long time. It maybe not till eternity. But remember when we're praying, we're praying to someone that we can trust. God. And really that fits well with Psalm, you know, twenty two. We're not praying to a God who's far off, especially in these difficult times. We're praying to the God who became a man and prayed himself, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Who knows the difficulty of suffering personally, who died on the cross for us, who loves us enough to become a man and to die. That we're not praying to a God who's far off, but a God who knows and has experienced suffering beyond what we can imagine for us because he loves us. And so we have a person that we can trust. We can go to God, and when we go, we want to go in faith. Faith. Faith in God. I'll give you kind of an illustration here, and then we'll look at an example where it's the opposite, uh, where God actually does give the who, what, where, and why, and how it actually kind of proves it proves that we should be trusting a person, and that those aren't the main those aren't the main answers we're seeking. As we pray, we're looking to, and we can't forget, a personal God, the personal God we're asking for help, the personal God who we're crying out to, who's there with us, who hears us through Jesus. Um, I'll give you an example here. Okay. What if you got, uh, you were going to have surgery? Let's, let's give an example like this. You're, you're going to have surgery, and you actually have the choice of two doctors, and it's a long surgery, and, all, and maybe it's pretty serious or whatever. And you, you get to choose between two. One can tell you all the hows and the whats and the whys. They tell you exactly how long it's going to take. But you're not really settled on the who question. You're not really sure you fully trust this doctor. They're a little bit iffy in their character. Okay? So they can tell you all the whats and the hows and the whys but you're just not sure you're settled on if they're trustworthy. Okay, the second. The second person you know well, and you're totally settled that you, on the who question, you're totally settled that you can fully trust them. But when you ask about the surgery, they say, I just can't tell you how long it's going to take. I don't know. I'm not exactly sure what we're going to do. We're just going to have to open you up and see what's going on. Which one would you want? I think it's pretty obvious you'd want the one that you can totally trust the who. Even if they can't tell you or won't tell you all the what's and the why's. Why? Because you can trust that even when they don't tell you, they're being honest with you. 
right? That there's times when somebody, you know, won't answer your questions and you actually trust them more (laughs) because you realize they're just being honest. They feel like they want to be forthright with me. They want what's best for me. And if that's to not give me the, the cookie cutter answer because they don't, you know, that's, that's not actually fully true or that's not what's going to be helpful here. And that's the God, like God, right? <laughs> Isn't that obviously the illustration that aren't you thankful that we can be fully trusting the who? We can trust that God is good, that he's in control, and that he knows what's best, that he really cares for us. What more, you know, in Romans, it's um, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not with him give us all things? If Jesus died for us, if God sent his own son, if God became a man to die for us, what more could we ask? What more? How, how could he have shown us that we can trust him anymore? And we've, I've shared this quote many times. One of the Puritans said that if all the angels in heaven made a purse to try and pay off the debt of one sinner, they couldn't do it. God could have made a million other worlds, but he only had one son. And that's what he suffered, sent to suffer and die. Came, Jesus himself came to suffer and die for our sins. The most valuable thing in the universe. Anything else there is, God could have multiplied like that, right? But not his son, not Jesus. There's only one. And that's who he sent to die for us. God is a person we can trust, that we can know. And when we come to prayer, we're coming with faith. We're trusting. Why? Because He's earned it. Because we know Him. Because we can really know Him. And that's an amazing thing. And I hope this is helpful to you. I want, one, a motive to pray. You've got burdens in your life. You've got needs. You've got things going on. But you have someone you can fully trust and you can go to. And you can ask these questions. But just make sure that you remember the who. That until we get these later on, we know the who. We know that God, who God is and what he's done for us. And just like David here in Psalm 22, we can pray those questions and then circle back around to, but I know the who. I know God. I know I, know I can trust you. So then I'm going to give you, finally, kind of wrap up, I'm going to say all the same things, except I'm going to prove it from a negative example where God actually answered all these questions, it seems like. Uh, where somebody prayed and they wanted all these, and then you'll see why this proves the, the exception proves the rule, that this is actually what is most important. So I'm going to kind of summarize here, but if you want to turn here to Habakkuk, that really you could say this is the outline of Habakkuk. Tiny, small, uh, you know, book towards the end of the Old Testament between Nahum and Zephaniah, and it might take you a minute to get there because you're going to have to sing that song, you know, the, <laughs> the Old Testament song in your mind. <laughs> I did, you know, it's like I have to still have to sing that song in my mind, but um, but I'm really going to just summarize mostly because we could read the whole thing. Uh, I'm going to skip around. But I want you to notice that these are his exact questions here. What, when, why, how? Starting in verse 2, this is, uh, How long, O Lord, shall I cry for help, 
and you will not hear or cry violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? And so he's basically praying, a summary of his prayer is, God, how long am I going to cry out? There's injustice in the nation. I cried to you to put it right, and you haven't yet. Why not? How long, are you going to, how long is it going to be? And this is what God says back. In verse 5, God answers him, I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. So God says, if I told you what I'm going to do, you wouldn't believe it. And then he says, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. And he just goes on to talk about they're going to come in and, and wipe out this all this injustice, Chaldeans. And then Habakkuk answers back after God said, I'm doing a work that you, if I told you, you wouldn't believe me. He said, basically, I don't believe you. <laughs> How would you do this? In verse 12 of chapter 1 of Habakkuk. Surely you're not going to do this. Um, you are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look on wrong. Uh, this is verse 13. And basically says, How could you send the Chaldeans? They're wicked. So I want you to notice something. He actually asked these questions. God answered, What's going to happen? Well, the Chaldeans are going to come. When? They're going to be coming soon to wipe all this out. Why? Because I'm going to, put, I'm going to make things right. I'm going to bring justice. And there's iniquity, and I'm going to wipe. This is the tool I'm going to use to wipe it out. And you know exactly how I'm going to do it. I'm telling you which direction they're going to come. I'm telling you what people. And guess what Habakkuk felt? He didn't feel any comfort. <laughs> he felt like, oh man, this can't be God. It didn't help him. And so he's crying out again, God, you know, no, this can't be. And I want. There's a famous verse, and it and that you already know from the, that gets quoted in the New Testament. And this is God's answer to him. After. He gets all the what's, when's, why's in the house. What we all want. But then he's not satisfied. And this is what God says to him in chapter 2. And this is what the Lord said to two: Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so that me, he may run who sees it. For the vision awaits the appointed time, and it hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come and not delay. Behold, his soul is, soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But... The righteous shall live by faith. Remember that verse? The righteous shall live by faith. Amazing, really. Think about the context here of this famous verse that you, I mean, already know. The righteous shall live by faith. Which Paul quotes, you know, in the New Testament. It comes in the moment. When does he need to hear that? When he actually got everything we want answered, answered. (laughs) He had to be reminded. But you've got to live by faith. Think about that. You could know the what, the when, the why, the how, and what would God still need to tell you? You've got to be able to trust me. You've got to live by faith in who, in the who. That's pretty amazing, right? You may, what if you got all these answered? What if you had your questions answered and yet you were still struggling and still unsure, but can I trust the Lord? You would need to come back to the same place and realize, I can trust God for who he is, because I know him, even when I don't understand it. So you see why this is so important when we talk about praying with faith. We've got to have this settled. We could get all this settled. But if we don't have the who settled, if we don't know the God we're trusting and really really trust him, you're still going to have to circle back around. If God gave you the outline for this year, I'm confident 
If you need it, if God needed to give you the outline, he would. But you may, if God did, if God gave you a point-for-point outline, exactly what's going to happen this year, all the good things, all the hard things, and you knew exactly what to expect, expect, you know what you would really, really need? Faith. Faith in God and a person. Because what if you started trusting just knowing the future, right? What if you just started trusting, well, I can have confidence because I know what's going to happen next because, because of this and this, and you stopped actually trusting the person of God who's in control. That would actually be a bad thing, <laughs> right? And so the reality is wherever we are, when we're praying, when, wherever we're at, whatever we're going through, we've got to come to the place where we are certain, we know who God is and that we can trust him. And this is what Habakkuk ends. This is his prayer at the end. He comes to this place. He gets all these answered first, but then he has to deal with this, the who. And he, at the end of the book, does come to be settled. How has he become settled? How does he end up getting comfort for his soul and moving on in faith? It's not in knowing what's going to happen, when and how. It's back to the who. And this is what he says in verse at the end of chapter 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. The person, knowing a person. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like a deer's, and he makes me tread on high places. That's how it ends. So after all that, after getting exactly what he wanted, where did he have to come back to? God. No matter what happens, even if, it's, even if everything fails, even if the food fails, the crop fails, the world, all these worldly things fall apart, I've got a who that I can trust. And that's where we all need to be. And I hope that this is a help to you. And I hope that you can see from this example, the exception proves the rule. And you, there's actually quite a few other examples in the Old Testament. Maybe you could just think about it. When do people ask the what, the why, and the how, and it doesn't help them? They're still struggling. They're still struggling with faith in God. Um, there's, there's, there's actually quite a few So to conclude, I would just say this. There's a great blessing for us. God has given us a wonderful blessing in prayer that we can know him and that he is a good God and we can trust him. We can absolutely trust him. We can bring anything to him. We can bring all our questions. We can bring our true feelings. We could say, God, I, after all this, I still really want to know this. <laughs> I still really want to know all the what, wins, whys, and hows. Would you help me just to trust you? We can bring anything to him. He loves us. He loves you. He died for your sins and reflect on that. You know, we could take back to Psalm 22 ending where we started. We could kind of take the way he processes things and and try to do it ourselves. Here's where I'm at, God, and here's what I'm struggling with. Step one. Step two. Reflect on who God is in the past, what he did in the history of salvation. God, you're the God that delivered Israelites 
through this Red Sea. You're the God that was with David all his life. You're the God that was faithful all those years. Now back to where I'm at. God, but yeah, but I'm going through this. And this is where I'm feeling. This is where I'm struggling with. And then reflect on God again. Not just what he did before you were born, but how he's taking care of you up to now. God, you're the one that knit me together in my mother's womb. You're the one that think about little blessings and, and provisions and protections that God has given through your life. I mean, for me, a lot of, I think someone shared a story like this, very similar, but like there's times in my life where there was a time when I was a young kid, probably Joy's age, and my dad, I told my dad, I don't want to ride with you, I want to ride with mom today. And my dad was like, okay. And then my dad got in a wreck and the passenger side was crushed in where I would have been sitting. It's like little things like that where it's like, God, thank you. Thank you for that. You knew. And there's a thousand things. We've all got little things like that. And think back through, God, this last crisis, you got me through it. Thank you. And then come back to the present. But God, here's what I'm struggling with today. <laughs> and then you could do what David did. Jump to the future. Well, God, I know. Even I'm not sure what's going on right now, but I know in the future you're going to get me through. You're going to get me to salvation. I'm going to be with you. My sins are forgiven. Uh, and I get to be with you. I get fellowship with you. So you go through all the past. You go through your past. You go to the future, and you trust God with that. And then finally, you land on the present. Okay, God, now I'm back to this thing that I originally brought up. This situation I'm in right now. We've reflected on how God delivered in the past, distant past, before you were ever born. How he provided for you your whole life up to now. How you know he's going to provide for you in the future, in eternity, forever and ever. And then have faith right now where we're at with the, the thing that you started out with, the thing in the now. And by the time you've reflected on all that, do you see how that would encourage your faith? Do you see how reflecting on how God delivered people in the past through the Red Sea, surely he can handle your present finances, your relational difficulties, things with your kids, things with work, you know, whatever it is, putting it all in perspective to where we are. It's not going to make it easy. It's not going to, it's not a cure-all, but it's going to help to remind yourself of who God is and how he cares for you. So I hope there's an encouragement to you. All right, well, let's pray together and we'll be dismissed. Father, we are thankful that you hear us. You care for us. You know us. Um, we just confess that we fall short and we doubt and we forget and we um, we just need your help. Would you make it really real to us who you are, that you're with us, that you're helping us, that you care for us. Um, I just pray that we could be a praying church, people that are really trusting you uh, each day in prayer, lifting one another up. Um, asking for help. So what we need is faith in you, and we're asking, would you grow our faith? Would you help us to, as we bow our knees and pray each day, to really be settled on who you are and be able to fully trust you with everything going on in our lives and in the world? We need help. We can't do it on our own, but we are thankful that we can come to you, and you, you want this for us. You want us um, to be people of prayer. You want us to trust you, and so we know you're going to help us. 
We do thank you and praise you for all the ways you've delivered us in the past, recent and distant past, just how you've been with us, helping us. Thank you that you, you're the one that holds the oceans in your hand. and um, We're thankful that you're the one in control and not us. So we trust you with, with our kids, with this church, with our lives, with our health, uh, with everything going on in the world. We just give it all to you. We trust you. And we trust that you know what's best and that you hear our prayers and you care. There's lots of people hurting all over the world, God. We just think about different ones that we know personally and we just lift them up to you. Have mercy. Be near to them. Help them. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.